you're number one. And Chris Gardner, refer to him a little later in the message, but Chris Gardner is kind of our first example today of someone who realized the dream of being squashed, but he did something about it. He did something about it. He turned it around. Even his wife squashed his dream. She's not in that clip, right? I could say she's not in the picture anymore because she let her part of the dream be squashed. Don't, don't let it be squashed. Protect the dream. Let me tell you a story from uh, 1 Samuel about a man whose dream was squashed. His name was Eli. He was the high priest. And uh, really what we know about Eli mm, is not great stuff. Okay, he was a priest, called of God, in the lineage, all of those things, but a lot of the other things wasn't. For example, Eli's sons were wicked men, for they had, and I had to underline uh, several things here for you, just I want to make sure you see. They had no regard for the Lord. Uh, no regard. You know what that means, right? It means that even when they knew they were doing wrong, they didn't care. Now, and, and they were sons of the priests, so you know what that meant? I mean, you know, uh, kind of like you assume today, you know, uh, the pastor's kids, you know, they're going to be involved somehow in church, right? I mean, even if they don't feel called to it, uh, their dad's going to make them do it, right? Well, 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 these guys, they were involved as well, yet they had no regard for the Lord. And serving in the temple, serving around God, serving around all his stuff, you know what they did? They knew they were doing wrong, and even though they knew it, they didn't care. It, it had no impact on their life. They, they, they didn't change their actions when they did wrong. They just didn't care. They had no regard for God. And Eli understood. He, he saw this, and uh, Eli, even though Eli was getting old, and his, uh, our, our next scripture says that, um, that even though his eyes were getting, getting uh, dim, it says uh, he heard about everything his sons were doing. He heard about everything. So what is, what's the everything that his sons were doing? Well, let me tell you just a couple of things they were doing. One was there was a, a specific offering that was given to the priests and the families of the priests. That uh, you know, back in those days, they didn't bring money; they brought you know lambs or they brought goats or or bulls or turtle doves or whatever. You know, they brought all this meat, and and a portion of that meat was given to the priests and the priest's family, and uh, it was already cooked. And so here's what what Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phineas, here's what they did: is that when it came, they they got tired of pre-cooked meat. You know. They said, we want to cook our own. You know, I got a big grill in my backyard, and, you know, I, I want some, some raw. You know, just, just bring it to me raw. But the problem was it had to be given to God through the cooking, and then it was given to them. And so it's kind of like, you know, how, how, how you pay your tithes or you give offerings to the church, and then out of that is how we pay for all the things here in the building, but also we pay staff salaries. And which just reminds you that I'm the only full-time guy. So you got you really appreciate your staff here because they're all part-time. So the little bit we give them, though it comes from that. And so and it's the same thing here. It's that the, the meat was given or it was given to God through the cooking, and then portions of that were taken and given to the priest. And often I'm Phineas said, We're tired of this stuff. We're tired of boiled meat. We want some roasted meat. We want to grill out. So give us some. They, they, they had no regard for the Lord and understanding that this was God's way of taking care of them. They did not appreciate the fact that they didn't have to, they didn't have to go raise it. They didn't have to slaughter it. They, all they had to do was eat it. I mean, they didn't even have to cook it. You know, really, I mean, all they had to do was eat it, but they had no regard for the Lord. But there was something else they did. Two great sins. One was this, and, and, and I, I think you're probably going to think the second was worse than the first, but in the eyes of God, I mean, he was giving them some blessing, and they had no regard and no appreciation for the blessing. Maybe the first is worse than the second. But the second was they were sleeping with the women 
who served around the temple. They were sleeping with the servants of the temple. And Eli saw all of this. He heard about it. He, he realized all of it was happening. He heard about it. And so you know what? He started talking to his sons about it. He said, this isn't good what you do, son. And he specifically talked to him. It looks like more about the second sin than the first sin, even though in the eyes of God, I, I think, you know, when we aren't appreciative of the things that God does, does for us and have no regard to him, I think maybe that is an even greater sin than the things we may do with our bodies and our hands and those kinds of things. But he talked about the second one more than the first, and he talked to and they didn't listen to him. They, they, they just, ah, that's just dad. You know, that's just his old ways. That's the way the church used to be. That's, what, that's the righteousness that my grandparents used to have. You used to have to live that way, you know, back in the old days. But this is a new day. We're in charge now, and things are going to be different. We're going to believe God for some other different, you know, dispensations of grace and whatever. Uh, very much like a lot of things I hear going on today in the church world. That we don't have to, we don't have to listen to those scriptures that way. We don't have to listen to an older generation that that uh, maybe is out of touch with all the new stuff going on, and so they just continue to do what they were doing. And it says that it says that he heard about him. And you read it on down. I don't want to read all these scriptures, but as you read on down, it tells you that he he actually spoke to his sons, but he didn't go far enough. How do I know? How do I know this? Because there's another little story going on at the same time. There's a little boy named Samuel, who was dedicated to God very early in his life. He was actually raised there in the temple with with uh, Eli. When Samuel turns 12 years old, he hears God speak to him in the middle of the night. Now, uh, I don't know, and I've looked at this, the, this scripture here, and I don't know that he actually heard it with this ear so much as he heard it with this, this, and, and just listen to me here because some say, no, I believe he heard it with that. Okay, maybe he did hear it with that, but I want you to get this. Is, have, you ever, have you ever almost heard something? You thought, you ever heard something you thought somebody called your name? Or you, you, you heard something and you said, who was that? Who was calling my name? I mean, uh, maybe it doesn't happen to you youngsters just as much as it happens to us with a few more years on us. But I mean, yeah, I hear things every once in a while. You ever feel, you ever feel that uh, vibration, you know, in your pocket of that phone and uh, you reach in and it's not there? You know, you know, kind of that phantom kind of a thing? You know, so, so maybe Samuel was getting one of those or maybe, the, maybe what, what's really happening is maybe you've been getting what you thought were phantom calls and they weren't phantom. Maybe it was God that was there. So, so Samuel, he, he, he wakes up, he hears this voice, and maybe it's, it's just so strong inside of him that he believes he heard it with his, his ears. I don't know. And I, and I just say that because I want you to understand there's sometimes God speaking to you, and you think you hear, and you're wondering if you hear. Yeah, it may be God. And so he jumps up, and he runs, out, and runs down. He doesn't know that it's God speaking. He runs down to Eli's room. He says, Eli, did you call for me? And Eli said, no, Samuel, I didn't call for you. Go back to bed. So he goes and lays down. God calls to him again. You know, and again, I, I, I know I heard it this time. <laughs> that ever happened? You're laying, laying in bed at night, you know, and you hear something, you know, off in the kitchen. You say, what was that? Somebody break in? You know, and your husband said, no, go back to sleep, right? And then you hear it again. You say, I know I heard it that time, right? That's what Samuel was doing. He said, I know I heard it. That. So he gets up, runs down the hall, and he finds Eli. He says, Eli, did you call me? And he said, no, son. Samuel, go back to I didn't call you. Sends him back to bed. Third time it happens. Jumps up, runs down the hall. Eli, I, I know you called me. And Eli finally realized, oh, wait a minute. This must be God. Took him three times to figure that out. He's the high priest. He should have known that in the first place, right? But because he really has had his eyes on other things and attention on other things, get this, it's important. Because he had his eyes and attention on other things, he did not recognize the voice that used to speak to him. 
because he, because he, was, he, he was consumed by the things that his sons were doing, and he knew he should be doing better. He knew he should be leading them better. But because he had his, his mind and his attention and all that, he did not recognize the voice that used to speak to him until this third time. And then he said, Samuel, that's probably God speaking to you, son. Go lay down again. And if it happens again, don't get up. Just say, here I am. Speak to me, God. So Samuel goes and lays down, 12 years old. Would that we could all have 12-year-old faith again, that we could just believe God is who God says he is, and God wants to speak to us just like a 12-year-old can understand that. And he laid down, and it happened again. And when God spoke, he said, here I am, speak to me. That would be really exciting if I didn't have to tell you what God was telling him. Because what God began to tell him was, I'm going to have to judge Eli. Eli and his family can no longer be my high priest. Because, and here, here's what the scripture says. It says, for I told Eli that I would judge his family forever because of the sin that he knew about. Okay, and we already knew that, but here's something we didn't know. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. He spoke to them, but he failed to restrain Boy, I'd like to stop right here and just talk to all you parents and say, talk is cheap. God, God said, oh, I, I, I know you've talked to them, but you failed to restrain them. Restrain, meaning you failed to do whatever is necessary. And listen, when you recognize that your children are headed down a wrong path, they're going in a wrong direction, and you don't do everything you can to stop them, you're going to lose them. His two sons, at a later day, die both the same day in the same battle. And the reason they die isn't just because God says, I'm zapping you. No, but what happened that day is they, there's a battle going on. The Israelites are facing the, the Philistines, and, and, the, and the Israelites send back word, hey, we're struggling here. And Hophni and Phinehas said, well, God is with us. God wasn't with these two guys. These two guys abhorred the blessings of God, and they slept with the temple women. God wasn't with these two guys. They say, well, God's with us, and they run into battle. They both get killed. So it's not necessarily like God zapped them like some people would have thought, that's what God's going to do. No, no, no. He, God said, this is what's going to happen to them because they have disregarded me. They are putting themselves in a place of danger, and they, run, and they both die that day. And when we see our children, and, and let me speak about spiritual children as well, because some of you have been Christians 20 years plus. You need to be looking around at all of these, all of these new converts these unchurched and de-churched that have come to 2911, over 120, you know, that, that are regularly attending here, you need to look around at them and realize that God has put you in a place like Eli with these two, that, that you are like spiritual fathers and mothers, or at least uncles and aunts. And you need to say, when, when one is going in the wrong direction, you need to be, be willing to do whatever it takes, because if we don't, what will happen? Oh, well, I spoke to them. You know, is, is it that we just want to get it off of our conscience? Because I believe that's all Eli wanted. If, do we just want to get it off of our conscience, or are we really interested in making sure they don't lose their souls in an eternal hell? Because if, if we're really concerned, then we don't care if they like us five minutes from now after we challenge them about, wait a minute, son, this isn't right. We don't care. You know, and you know, go back to maybe thinking about your own kids. We don't care if when they come in the door, you know, you've given them a, a curfew and they had to be in. They didn't want to be in. We don't care that, that when they stomp in the door and they won't speak to us on their way to their bedroom because we've made, we've offended them by giving them a curfew because we're concerned about their safety and we're concerned about their eternal soul. So it, it, you got to decide: is this going to be about getting this off my conscience, or is it because I'm concerned about their eternal soul? And Eli wasn't. So God said, because of that, I'm going to have to, your family's going to, going to die in a day. 
And you know what Eli's response to this was? What, what would be your response? What would be your response? Here's what Eli said. He said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Now, at first you say, okay, now this is a guy who knows God and says, okay, well, he's God, so I guess he's going to do whatever he wants to do. Is that the way most of the patriarchs of the Old Testament responded? When God said judgment is coming, what did they do? I mean, and not even the patriarchs. I mean, a lot of the cities or the peoples that God said, I'm about to judge you, what did they do? The evil king of Nineveh, when Jonah came back and said, God is about to judge you, and he's going to judge you for sure. He's about, and he went through the streets after he was swallowed by the fish and didn't want to do it God's way. He found, and you know, what the, you know what the king of Nineveh, the evil king of Nineveh did? He called a fast. Even though God says, I'm going to judge you, I'm, I'm coming against this city, I'm bringing judgment against it because of its wickedness, and evil kings called a fast, and he, he said, we got to pray about this. We can't allow this to happen. I mean, where is the opportunity, right? I mean, the, the opportunity is gone. He's, he's lost it. He missed it. He dropped his opportunity. He dropped his opportunity to bring his family back. Because when God pronounces judgment, understand, God is going against his grain because he's a God of love and a God of grace and a God of mercy. Because he's, because he's truth and, and justice and righteousness, he has to do this. But that's a, well, he wants to rescue and save. And so, I, you know, my question is, where is the repentance? Where is the, oh, God, please save us. Is there, is there not one more chance, God? Give us one more chance. He should have listened to Abram who, who prayed and asked God over and over, if there are only ten righteous men in Sodom, would you save it? Where's the, the priest who, who, who goes before? I mean, because, I mean, if there's... If there's anybody I want to pray for and I want to rescue, who is it? It's my family. I mean, where is the priest now who is ministering to the whole nation but doesn't go back to God on behalf of his two, own son, two sons? Where is the priest? And you know what he did? He let the dream die. You can't let the dream die. Can we think about the dream for a few moments? Can we th think, about what, think about what we don't know back in, in the early days of this story. You know, Eli, okay, he's got two sons. They didn't appear one day. They were born just like your sons and daughters were, right? Okay, so he, he got married. They had kids. What happens when you have a kid? Man, you know, he's beaming. He's smiling. And back in those days, it was even a bigger deal to have a son than it was to have a daughter back in those days. Might be flipped a little bit now. I don't know, you know, because, you know, it's, uh, we, we all like our, our daddy's girls, you know, that we were raised sometimes, you know. So it might be flipped a little bit for some of you guys. But back in those days, it was a big deal. Hophni was born, man, he is bold-chested, you know, smiling, saying, you know, here's my son. He's the high priest. And he said, my son, we're going to raise him to follow in my footsteps because that's the, that's the calling that God has given to our family. And then Phineas comes along, oh, man, look at this now. Now i got two sons. I've got two sons to lead into the priesthood. I've got two sons who are going to follow. I've got two sons who the entire nation of Israel are going to follow after them, and they're going to look to them for spiritual guidance and leadership. How did the dream die? How did it happen? Can I, I can tell you this. I, I started to say, can't, uh, now I'm going to tell you this. I know this. It didn't happen overnight. Dreams don't die in a moment. They, they, have, they have the life squashed out of them over a long, agonizing period of time. You know what I'm talking about. Your, your dream wasn't over. In a moment, you began to see it slipping out of your fingers, and you didn't know what to do about it. And Eli, the, the man who had heard God, the man who was God's leader, he lost the ability to know what to do about it. Because when God spoke it to him, what did he do? Oh, he finally let go. 
what happened to the dream? What happened? You cannot let, he let the dream die. You cannot let the dream die. You are the protector. You are the number one protector of the dream in your life. You cannot let the dream die. What are those things? The, 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 these these two, two precious babies that were born into his life, all of a sudden, I mean, he's like, he's like cutting the umbilical cord now. Well, if God's decided to kill him, let him, let him kill him. You can't let the dream die. Every week of this sermon series, I've brought you someone out of the Old Testament. This, this week, I got, I got to bring you two. Because I, I just didn't want to bring you just the, the negative side of letting the dream die. I wanted to show you someone whose dream was also trying to be squashed every single day of his life. But he didn't let the dream die. There's a man in the, the book of Genesis chapter 6 named Noah. And, and look what it says about Noah. It says, this is the, the account of Noah. Here's, here's the account of Noah. Okay, so if somebody says, let's check your account, what are they looking at? They're looking at your history. They're looking at, you know, all these things. Everything that's been recorded about you. Here are the important things about you. Here is, your, here is his account. Is Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, that's his account. What does the last thing that I've underlined there have to do with the first three? I mean, it's like he's righteous, he's blameless, he walked with God, and he had three sons. I mean, this one don't fit with this, does it? I mean, it looks like this is a separate thing. I mean, why is this in the account? Because, I mean, this is about his character, and this is a, uh, you know, just about his family. Are they connected? For Noah, they were. They might not be for you, but for Noah, they were. That might look weird to you. The account of Noah is his character and his family. But maybe they are connected because maybe it was his family that was the cause for his character. Because he was a righteous man. Why? Because he had three sets of little eyes watching him all of his life. That's why he was a man of righteousness, because those three little boys that were watching everything he did. He was blameless among all his people. Why? Because he didn't want to die one day and leave some blame in this world to those three little boys. Well, come on here. This is some good stuff here. I, I don't know if you realize it or not. There's some good stuff right here. And he walked with God. Why? Because he wanted to show his boys how to walk with God. You can't tell somebody how to walk with God. You can't teach someone how to walk with God. You can only model it. And he modeled it because of those three boys. I think these three, these, the, the, this last thing is connected to those first three things because they are the reason that he was that way. I mean, there's a lot of times that I do the right things because there's somebody following me. There's a lot of times I do the right things because somebody's watching me. There's a lot of times I do the right things because I'm married. There's a lot of times I do the right things because I have grandchildren. I've had children that I wanted to raise. There are a lot of times I do the right thing, not because just I'm just the greatest guy in the world, but because of those that are around me, and that's who Noah was. And, and God said, I want you to build a boat because I'm about to destroy this whole earth and start over, and I want you to bring your family into the boat. And you know what the Word of God says Noah did? It says Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Why? Because of three little boys. Because of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Because God said, I want you to bring them into the boat. So therefore, when he was, when he was working on the boat, and when he got tired, 
and wanted to quit and go home and take, take a week off, he remembered the three boys are going to be riding in this boat. And it made him do everything as God commanded him. And when everyone was squashing his dream and saying, Noah, you're crazy. You know, we, we've never had a rain anything like that. You're building this boat up here on the side of a hill. It'll never get to water. God was going to bring the water to the boat because he had the work. And when he was, his dream was being squashed, he still believed because the three boys are going to be on this boat. And he did everything. And he kept the dream alive. But I, I want you to see the harshness of what he had to go through to keep the dream alive. Because I want you to think about this for just a quick moment. Is that it's not, you know, it, 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 I'm not going to, uh, uh, you know, go back through the whole movie of The Pursuit of Happiness, Will Smith, Chris Gardner, playing Chris Gardner. I'm not going to take you through that, but there was such harshness. And I hate if you hadn't seen the movie. If you hadn't seen the movie, you might want to stick your fingers in your ears, so, you know, because it's been around a few years, but stick your fingers in your ears because you don't, you don't, you don't want to hear the spoiler, but. No, no big spoiler, right? Is I had a friend mess it up for me. He said, I went to see this movie. He said, it was horrible. I said, really? I've heard great things about it. He said, it was two and a half hours of, of horror for three hours of happiness. I mean, for three minutes of happiness. And I said, okay, thanks for pulling the movie for me. Okay, so I, I know it turns out okay for the guy, right? But the pursuit of going out, and it was two and a half hours of horror. Two and a half hours. That's what our lives are. For Noah, it was as well. For Noah, he was raising his children, and he wanted them to follow God. Yet you know what was happening? Every subsequent generation from Adam to Noah had gotten worse and worse and worse until finally God said in Genesis chapter 6, I'm sorry I even made, God, made man. I, it said that he repented. Into, I'm sorry I even made man. Man is so vile and corrupt. And so, and so Noah is saying, I want to raise my kid. And I've heard some of you say this. I'm so worried about what my kids are going to have to endure when they become adults. What in the world is, is this going to be like when they're raising their children? And worried about, that's what Noah was dealing with. He says, how in the world can I keep these, these, these three young men righteous and connected to God? You know how? By being righteous. By walking blameless. And by walking with God. And the only way he could do that is he had to keep the dream alive. Every day, he had to stir the dream up. Every day, he had to protect the dream. Every day, he had to remind himself. But the dream is not about this society, the culture out here, the community, what people say, what people think, and what people do. The dream is about keeping my kids alive and connected to God. And it got harder every single day. But you know what happened? Because he held on to the dream. The dream became more beautiful than Noah could even imagine. Because what Noah would have wished, I many times said, I grew up in Lipscomb back when Lipscomb was a good place to grow up in. It was a wonder years. Y'all ever seen that old show? That's when I grew up. You know, when you left, the, you left the house early in the morning on your bicycle, you know, and the door wasn't locked all day long and your mom didn't worry about you until about, you know, getting close to dark or whatever. She knew you were in the neighborhood. One reason is because, I mean, it was a safe place. Other reasons, she knew that the neighbors would whip me if I got out of line in their yard too. I mean, you know what? And so many times we've said, I wish we could take our kids and our grandkids back to the wonder years. Noah wished that as well. But it wasn't going to happen, was it? It did for Noah. Because he kept the dream alive after the flood when they left that ark and walked on to a brand new earth, a brand new creation. The first thing they did was they sacrificed to God. 
They thanked him for what he had done. And now Noah's dream of raising his kids could really become a reality. Raising his kids and not just raising them to be good in the middle of all the track, but he could raise them without all that around him. He got an amazing dream because he held on to the little bit of dream that he had. His dream was probably not for them to change the world originally. His dream was probably not for them to be the leaders of the next generation because all the wicked people were in charge. But that's what he got because the little dream he had of his kids walking with God, he didn't let it die. Do something different with me this morning. Would you just close your eyes right, just right where you are? Feel this from God. Didn't have this in my notes, didn't have this in my plans earlier, but I just felt this from God earlier in this service. But there are people sitting here and their dreams aren't on life support anymore. They are dead. They have died. You don't even know if, if you were to, you don't even know where it's buried today. We didn't even have a clue of how to dig it up and get it, if you had the ability to get it back to life. Dreams have died. There are people all across the spectrum in this room this morning, some who their, their dreams are embattled, their dreams are, 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 are weakened and being squashed, and they're fighting to keep them alive, and then there are some that they've just about given up, and then there's those of you like this that I just sense from God that it's over. You, you, you don't even have a hope of a dream anymore. You don't have a hope of a dream anymore. God says that you are the restorer of your own dream here today. You choose. The dream is, if the dream has been spoken, the dream is still there. If, if God has given you a dream that your children are going to serve Him and love Him and their names are going to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if God's given you that dream, that dream's not dead. You've forgotten it. You are the restorer of that dream right here today. You decide and it happens because God's already spoken it. He doesn't have to speak it again. He doesn't have to restore the dream. He doesn't have to renew the dream. God's words are amen and amen. What he speaks today is settled for eternity. And when he spoke it to you anytime, anytime in the past, that dream is still there. You are the restorer. Decide, decide right now. I'm going to restore the dream. In my heart, I'm bringing it back. I'm going to believe in the dream again because this is the dream that God put in my heart. I might not have heard God speak to me like Samuel heard. I may not hear it as strongly as Samuel heard or even pastor when God spoke to him and called him to ministry. But I know that God put the seed of a dream deep inside my heart and I'm going to Nurture. I'm going to restore. I'm going to rebuild the dream. Make that decision right now. Let me pray over you. And pray with me if you will. God, I ask you, Lord, over everyone, everyone seated here, God. I ask you, Lord, to, to help them find the dream. God, some of them, they've killed it by some of the things they've done, and others have just had it killed by situations, circumstances, and people around. But God, I pray, help us find the dream again. And give us, give us the determination, Lord, to restore the dream in our life, and God, to, to, to defend it, to fight for it, to bring it to, God, to bring it to pass, Lord, in our lifetime, and to not let anybody squash it again, to not let anybody squash our dreams but God, to be the defender of other people's dreams and realize that when we're doing that, God, we're just defending our own as well.
God, to quit looking, looking down at, and saying why it can't happen, but begin looking up and believing that you are able. You're able to make every dream come to life. First Chronicles 29.11 says you own everything, God. You are sovereign. It belongs to you. You have all power. You have all greatness. You have all ability. God, and I just ask you, bring that sovereignty into our lives today. Bring it into our lives today, God, and restore the dream, God. Remind us of the dream today. God, I believe you. I believe you are able. Come on, somebody. Say that right now in your own heart and prayer. I believe you're able to restore the dream for my family, for my marriage, for my future, for my children, for my finances, for my health. I believe you're able to restore the dream in Jesus' name. I want to ask you.